Welcome to Insurance Happy Hour. I'm Laird. I'm Becky. And this is not Insurance Website Builder like I just tried to prop uh, put out there. (laughs) (laughs) Your initial open was wrong. Uh, It was wrong. I'm like, okay, we can go ahead. You know, we generally record these straight through. In fact, I think we record all of them straight through. Uh, Yeah, I think there may have been one exception where we didn't. Yeah, and uh, I think it was the first one, and then uh, everything else we've we've always never really started and stopped and like changed anything. It just kind of flows. This time I was like, well, we're five seconds in. I can go ahead and cancel this one. Stop. Start over. Uh, man, it's getting summer. It is hot. Yeah, and you know. The little recording studio gets a little warm, and uh, you always have to worry about, like, oh, I can hear the AC blowing. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care. We're just going to deal with that noise, ambient noise. Yeah, the ambient noise is quite all right with the amount of uh, heat coming off of uh, out of this office right now. But uh, have a good week so far? Yeah. It's good. been busy, but it's been good. Good. Yeah, that's. Uh, it, it seems like everything – you just constantly have things to do. Well, especially coming back from 12 weeks off, like I'm still kind of in catch up mode from that because that's not something you come back from and you're caught up in a day. It takes a while. You said catch up mode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking about summer and I'm thinking about, oh, catch up mode. I could use a hot dog. (laughs) I might might be cooking hot dogs this weekend. Oh, that sounds sounds really good. So you've been pretty busy since your time back. Yeah, I have been. You doing stuff fun? That's fun. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, good. That's uh, always the thing that I, I I think that is lost upon everybody is that you've got to find new things in your role. You got to th- find new things, and you could do that as an insurance agent. You could do that as a graphic designer. You can do whatever. You can just find new things for you to do in your role, and you know that's that's what makes jobs interesting to me. I have that seven-year rule that if you're doing the same job for seven years, you should probably look for a new job. Yeah. But I mean, my job is drastically different from seven years ago when I started at ITC. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, chain, You know, there, there's some roles that are just kind of forever that you're always going to be doing that role. Uh, but, you know, you can do that even – and an insurance agent would be something like that. Is there always – you know, being an insurance agent, but there's so much more that you can do. You can learn more about how to improve your underwriting. You can, you know, all, all these things about uh, going out and learning more. And people will sit there and go CE and all that. And it's thankfully my my job doesn't require CE, but you know, there's a lot of CE out there. And people look at it as a bad thing, but it's ways that you can actually expand your knowledge, expand your horizons in your role, and it's all paid for and all of that. It's it's uh, pretty cool uh, whenever I talk to insurance agents and they're like, you know, going, well, I don't like doing CE. And I'm like, oh, well, and then I talk to them for a bit and then they come around and they go, oh, well, it's not as bad. And yeah. then, except for when you get to ethics. And- <laughs> ethics is never fun. But, you know, the, the common career advice that we tell our youth of find something you're passionate about and make that your job, that make that your career, I think is a little misguided. Because a lot of times uh, it's hard to turn what you're passionate about into a career. But I think you can find a career that becomes your passion. And so I think that trying to become passionate about what you're doing is possible if you can see the value in what you're bringing to your business, to your clients, to your industry. And so I think starting off going, oh, I'm passionate about – 
art. I'm just going to make that my career. That's a hard thing to do. It's very hard to do. And then sometimes there's many people who becomes they be, their passions start to dwindle because they've they've forced it into a career. Whereas for me, I had always been passionate about reading and writing. And I did not start out being passionate about marketing. I kind of found my way into marketing and realized I had an affinity for it and I enjoyed it. And then I became passionate about it. And then when I came to ITC, I, you know, learned about our mission here and went, that is pretty cool. Helping agents become better through automating processes and, and improving their marketing. Yeah, I'm on board with that. And so it's not, I, I didn't, get out of college saying, I'm passionate about helping insurance agents. <laughs> I, I think very few people <laughs> out there walked out of college and said, I want to be an insurance agent. And Justin's one of them. Right. He, he literally left college to go become an insurance agent. So, yeah. hey. I mean, it, there, there are definitely people who are, are like, yes, I want to be an in insurance. But I think the majority, especially, you know, through our This Is The Way profiles that we do on our uh, resources hub, you know, most people don't start off going, I'm going to be an insurance. They kind of stumble their way into it. And that's kind of my point is you can find passion in your career, even if you don't start out with it. No, I, no, spot on. Because, I mean, I, I know a lot of people that have, you know, because uh, I'm a pilot, I like to fly. I know a lot of people and they ask me, you know, because I'm like, I'm looking to go get my commercial rating. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, are you going to fly for a living? Hell no. Right. Because it would ruin my hobby, my passion. Exactly. And I see it all the time. My, my flight instructor, he actually, um, uh, you know, he hate, he now flies for the airlines and he's not passionate about it. He's lost his passion. It's no and, longer fun for him. Exactly. And you get him up in into a small plan, like a little general aviation, you know, single engine and all that. And he complains and all that about how it's not as fast and he's not as high and all that. But then by the end of the flight, he's like, can I take the controls? Can I fly? Can, you know, <laughs> all this type of stuff. Cause he's, you know, he's lost that passion. Yeah. And, you know, I keep telling him, Hey, you know, you were really good and you're really passionate about being an instructor. So maybe you should take that. That that could be the one off on your passion because actually flying, you've lost that passion. I see it. I, I see it in how he talks about his job and all of that. And even people that have passions of like, you know, or their hobby is golfing and they get really, you can get really good at golf and, you know, you sacrifice quite a bit, but, you know, even then it becomes a chore and it's like, well, I practice six hours a day five days a week and then your job is actually playing golf and then it's no longer fun. Right. And you just have to be very careful about that. And I see people that, and I agree 100% whenever people say, well, your hobby should be your, you know, you should take that as your thing. It's like, no, then there would be nobody that's a plumber. There's right. going to be nobody that, you know, who wants to run through the sewers? You know, right. The, the, no. Oh, I'm passionate about that. I want to be a digger. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ask my, my four-year-old nephew, he would probably love that as a career option. But I mean, the other misconception with that career advice is that because you're passionate about what you do, it's always fun. Mm -hmm. And everything you do is fun. And you should always love 100% what you're doing. That's not true for me. Hell no. There are tasks that I'm like, I don't look forward to doing. Uh -oh. But it's part of the job, so I have to do it. So I can do the things that I enjoy doing. 
it's the eating your vegetables first so you can then get to your uh, your main core, you know, the meat and the potatoes and the right. and, or as, the, and as, the dessert. As some people I think have, have called it, you eat the frog first, right? Never heard that before. I think I think Heather is I read that I think Heather wrote that somewhere. Where eat she, the frog first. Eat the frog first. Eat the heart do the hard part first that you don't enjoy and then you can get to what you I do like enjoy. I like frog legs. I'll eat, <laughs> I'll eat the frog. It's but like everybody say, you know, I'll order a big old plate of broccoli. And the first thing I do is pound back that broccoli. And they're like, man, you really love broccoli. No, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most tolerable um, vegetables to me. Like I, I could eat broccoli as my only vegetable. You know, green beans, never really thought green beans were more of a – they're almost not a vegetable sometimes because mm. you can put butter and – bacon you can put and butter and broccoli salt and all that yeah but because of the florets it just doesn't really get right in there it's uh i tell people all the time that uh, if you want really good broccoli go to applebee's their broccoli is phenomenal like what did anybody do? put a pound of butter on it i i yeah oh yeah i mean it's it's tossed in butter and garlic and but it's really really good and i was like yeah can i get a plate of wings and some broccoli they're like what and i'm like ah, trust me it's good stuff mm. now uh, you know whenever whenever we were talking about ce and uh all of that i i wanted to write a blog post been wanting to write this blog post, and so you had proposed a discussion topic, and I was like, you know what? This is the perfect place to do it because to talk about this blog post, and it revolves around um, an article that you sent me. Go ahead, you know the the one that we were talking about. Yes. So this article is from insurancethoughtleadership.com. They they I they get guest articles all the time that are just thought provoking. This one is titled "Insurance's Flawed Business Model." Why is that? Well, this gentleman is – his question is, how can the broker or the agent negotiate solely on behalf of the client if he or she has financial incentives and contractual relationships that potentially conflict with the client's best interests? What kind of conflicts would that be? So, for example, if the agent makes a 10% commission on a policy, are they going to be more inclined to sell a policy with a premium of 80000 or 100000 Mm. Mm. Okay. Now you know why I'm bringing up ethics. Yes, I know yeah. why you're bringing up ethics. Um, or, for example, a regional brokerage that may have three or four carriers it primarily writes business with. Um, if they have one particular carrier that is kind of their primary carrier, um, then they may be disinclined to move risk or clients to another carrier or push too hard against the one that is their primary carrier. Um, so, you know, they're, they're having to serve multiple. Yeah. They're, they're serving multiple masters. Right. Exactly. And you've got, you you're beholden to the company, the, you, or the, the business itself. Right. You're beholden to the company. You know, they're always, you've got reps that are coming in your office. Why are you not producing? Why is your loss ratio? What, 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 you know, all that type of stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of times you get like whenever you're talking about like shock losses where, you know, you sell a couple policies, but then they all have accidents and then they come in. It's not, you know, I wasn't the one driving the car. I mean, an agent has this mentality. It's like I wasn't driving the car. They came in. I got a policy. I wrote the policy. You accepted the policy. You accept payment for the policy. And then they had a major accident. I, I, I can't prevent that. Yeah. You know? And so, 
you have these agents that are beholden to the whole process and they, you know, often have to make these decisions. And one of the things that I've gotten into argument after argument, and that's why I've been wanting to write this blog and why I love that you brought up this topic is that value versus price selling. Mm -hmm. And this goes to the core of it in, I have made arguments to agents and carriers and in front of trade groups that selling on value is actually unethical. You should always sell on the lowest price if you are going straight ethical process. And where that really comes down to is people getting in that conflict that that article is talking about is exactly why. You always need to sell the right policy for the consumer's needs. You ask them questions, you sell them the right policy, but ethically, you should be selling them the cheapest policy, regardless of the amount of commission you get, the whatever it is, because that is the ethical stance. And I know that someone's going to, you know, I hope someone writes in and talks about this, but right here in my hand, and I have, I have these and I would be willing to share these. These are actual questions for the Texas department of insurance ethics CE exam. Okay. These are these, there is no less than six questions that I have here. So there are more on the test, but these are, these are the more that do it is that really goes down to that you should be selling always on the price and not worry about commission because while a company might offer you more commission, if the policies are the same, they offer you more commission and the policies are the same, then you got to do it on price because you are, as that article states, a broker, you are working on behalf and you should be working as an agent or a broker working on behalf of your client and less about on behalf of your carriers. Right. Because the carriers don't always engender a really great relationship whenever they're coming and knocking down your door and going, why aren't you producing for me? Why aren't you doing this? Well, your rates aren't good. They're not competitive. And, you know, I've done this in business forever, is most consumers do not want the cheapest option. They don't want the option. And um, I've talked to many agents that are very successful on this is they have, and this is why you need to have a good set of carriers whenever you're doing a comparative rate. Let's just take auto or home or property or whatnot. You have to have a good set. You don't need 20 or 30 carriers. That's an ego list. That's like, oh, look at how many people I represent. Well, if you were to take all of those, 20 of them, and then you equally distribute all of your business to those 20, you're only getting 5% per carrier. Those carriers don't care about just 5% of your business. They want to be the, the, the golden boy. They want to be the, they, they want to be the chosen one right. of your agency. And so if you actually look at very successful agencies, small, to large to massive agencies, both in non-standard, standard, and preferred, they have less than 10 carriers because then they can manage those carrier relationships. They can also say, you know, carrier, I only write you for this very specific business, which you do well on. And whenever you have that list and you're able to show six to 10 carriers on a rater, you can pivot the screen. You can just flip the screen around and say, hey, look, this is the carriers that I have here. And a lot of uh, consumers will just sit there and say, I want the lowest price. 
It's not always the case though. Yeah. Because they'll go, well, what, what's the difference between these two? And they'll usually pick the middle one. And you can do this with any type of business. You can stratify your product offering and say, I have a, a small, medium and large. People will generally pick the medium. They don't want to get the cheapest because it, there's something wrong. You know, what's wrong with it? What am right. I missing? It's that fear of missing out thing. That they also like the idea that if they go with a medium, they can go down to the lesser option later. And then finally, they can always upgrade if they need it. Having that mobility to a consumer is really powerful. And so whenever an agent is providing a price, it's um, they need to really be on the side of the consumer. And, um, you know, these ethics questions go down to, you know, if you only have one market, are you really, you know, if you, and you're saying you're offering a comparative price, but you only have one, you only compared them to one company. Is that ethical? The answer on the test is no. Um, it, because there's a, um, you know, there's a conflict of interest and there's the appearance of unethical behavior because it says, Hey, I compared you to multiple people, but I only really rated you with one. So if your advertising says, hey, I go out there and I'm going to shop you against all the carriers, but then you don't use a comparative rater to actually do it and you just go, to, well, I'm only going to go to this carrier because it's um, – I'm pretty sure that this is going to be the best rate. Well, you are misrepresenting yourself in the market because that consumer thought you were providing a comparative rate yet you were only giving one rate and that is considered in the state of Texas unethical behavior now if you're a captive agency or something like that that only has one carrier offering which we've already talked about is a it's not great right. for an agency and and that's why you see a lot of um, captive uh, you know exclusive agencies going away from having just one product they're offering multiple because consumers want choice the internet's here they want choice and you know in that case yes you go to state farm you know you're getting only a state farm rate so you get your state farm rate so it's uh it's it's the real big argument I've had with top level carriers, top you know national carriers, where I talk about you wanting to be the darling in the room, you wanting to be the only written choice in a independent agent that has multiple choices. You're actually pushing unethical behavior upon your agents. Now I know why you want to do it. You want to get all the business, don't we all? I wish I had all the business. You wish we had all the business. It's it's pretty easy to say that, but you know. Really, we need to remember as an industry who we're serving, and it's the clients. And the clients are the ones that have that choice. And so you start talking about the insure tech market and the way things are, are changing and all that. Insure tech is not changing the market. What they are doing is they are just trying to meet the needs of the ever-changing client. Right. The clients are changing the market. The consumers are changing the market. They want choice. They want options. And you know, they want multiple tiers of options. They want I want me I want to be rated across multiple carriers, but also in those carriers, I want to see the broad strokes of what kind of offering. State minimum, this covers your needs, you know, if you're really cheap, here you go. This covers your needs properly. And then you've got the, you know, the one that's the Cadillac the, right. that covers everything, gives you really good safety and all of that. And creating – then that's where you're providing value because value goes above and beyond going the price is matching 
the um, the coverage. It's you're getting good coverage for good price. It's you know anytime someone talks about value, I always say value includes price. It's part of the value because you can't sell the highest plan, the highest price plan, and say that's value. Right. So. I, I'm, you know, I I would love to have a, an ongoing discussion on this one. So, what are your thoughts? No, I think I think you're spot on. Um, you know, we talk to agents all the time who, like you said, don't use a comparative rater because they feel like they know which of their carriers is going to be the best option for the consumer. Yeah. And you're right; they're not accurately representing what they're doing when they say, Hey, I'm an independent agent. I can, I can find you the best price. Well, are you, are you really finding that client the best price when you're only looking at one carrier? Yeah. You may think you are, but if you actually used a comparative rater or heaven forbid, manually went out and quoted that rate yourself five or 10 times, you're not doing it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not, you're not being an agent. You're not being a broker. You're not doing your job. You're not doing what that client asked of you. So here, let's go for a question. Okay. I'll let you let you go. Bill uh, Bro- hey, I want to I want to preface this by saying I am not an agent. I have not had to take this test. <laughs> we'll we'll go we'll go with the uh, it's, you'll know the answer based upon this. Okay. Bill Broker has worked hard to find a good policy with fair terms for his client. Gamma insurance insurers would provide the broadest coverage terms at the lowest price for Bill's client, but Securo insurers would pay Bill more commission for a slightly more expensive policy with the same coverage terms. Um, would Bill do what should Bill do if he desires to make an ethical recommendation? He would propose the cheaper policy. That is, that is, um, yes, uh, yes, he would, he would recommend the cheaper policy because that's, that's the ethical. Yeah, absolutely. Even though he would get a bigger commission on the other one. Correct. And, you know, there, there's another one that's um, – is uh, because the producer on the flaky account warned you to expect serious competition, you approach its renewal with three quotes in your briefcase. Your supervisor emphasize, emphasizes that the 10000 quote is the right premium for the account, but you may use the $9,000 quote or the $8,000 quote if that's the only way to win the account on the books. Upon meeting with the client, you learn that there is no competition – but the client says he trusts you to do the right thing. You could just ethically justify which one would you do. And it's like, do you sell them the 8000 the 9000 because it's the middle ground, the 10000 or refuse to quote? And the, and the ethical response is actually refuse to quote because you were under the understanding of competition. Right. So, you know, whenever it comes down to these ethical questions um, of how to operate ethically – Agents, you know, are often told conflicting information that they should just sell, you know, they should sell the value policy that provides better value to them and they need to be watching value for the consumer. And, you know, that's in right now in today's market, it's price based marketing. Save 15%, 15 minutes, save, save 15% in seven and a half minutes, you know, discount, double check, uh, you know, pick your plan. All those guys. There's all these things, and they're all driven off a of price, but it's price-based marketing. You call them, and they are going to go through massive steps to make sure that they are selling you the right policy. 
And that's why I always say the right policy for the right price instead of using a word value or cheapest or something like that because that's the real value proposition that you are offering is that I'm going to give you the right policy for the right price. Right. And I think that the marketing really needs to be changed to say that instead of talking about value or price or anything like that, you do need to market on price because that that's what gets people in the door, but you sell value. Right. But uh, it's an interesting uh, conundrum that comes up is, you know, you have a policy that's the same price or, you know, the, the same price, but this offers you better commission. But if you know that that company does not provide, while they pay higher commission, they provide worse service. Right. That's the other side of it is all things equal. The policy is exactly the same coverage, exact same price. However, it's then now getting into more intangibles. It's like, okay, well, they offer, you know, this one company offers better commissions to me, but their service to the client is not as good. This kind of takes a, this moves away from an ethical question and moves to a customer service question. Well, it's, it, it, that's when you become the advisor, mm-hmm. right? Which I think a lot of agents like to see themselves as, as the advisor, as someone who is educating and helping their clients. Um, you know, as a consumer, when my agent shops my policy and she does it every year, every year I get an email saying you're up for renewal. I shopped your policy. Here's what it is. If you stay, here's some other options. Um, you know, so she's, she's doing the ethical thing. She's trying to find me a cheaper policy, but then she's also going, you know, the price is about the same. You know, and as far as, and, I, and so I ask him, like, okay, well, if the price is about the same, which carrier is better? Which carrier is going to provide me with a better service? And that's when she's able to provide that value that someone who is doing just price is not going to do. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think that focusing, using price as you're getting your foot in the door is always good. But selling on the price is not always necessarily the best thing because when everybody sells based on price alone, it just becomes a race to the bottom and nobody wins. Correct. So that that's why it's important to focus on the service and being um, having that advice-based model and providing value, even if that's not what we're going to call it necessarily, is important. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point um, of of the agent themselves. Now, you know, we've we've talked in broad strokes about the agency and the carriers, but also there's something you said about how you can ethically sell price and value um, as an agent, or, or incentivize an agent, have a agency owner incentivize their agents on how to um, to sell. And a lot of them, we, we hear a, a lot of times, well, they, you know, they get a percentage of sales or they, they get sales bonuses or something like that um, based upon premium and all that. And that's another one of those ethical dilemmas is that whenever you start incentivizing your own sales team to sell the higher price, because that helps them with that, that's perfectly fine if you're selling a TV at Best Buy. That's fine. But whenever it's something that is a security, it's a financial product, and um, you know th- there's rules, regulations, and all that behind it, they have to be careful about doing that. And you know there's better inc- there's better ways to incentivize 
a um, an agent or a producer for an agency owner, and that's possibly by doing instead of saying, okay, well, you get commissions off of the initial sale. Maybe it's retention commissions because that's the real value for an agency. So why are, why are a lot of agencies only incentivizing on the front end versus incentivizing on the true value right. to the agency, which is long term retention of that client? So we could we could go through this for for. A long time. I mean, and go through all the ethical dilemmas that faces insurance agents, brokers, producers, carriers, all alike. And they really revolve about, you know, and they really revolve around that one central theme of protection of the client is that that's what it's all about. That's why you have to take three or four hours of ethics every single year. And people are like, well, I had the same class last year. And I've been to a lot of ethics classes that were jokes. That it was, you know, they spend 15 minutes telling you some kind of story and then, um, you know, in between drinks and food and all that. And then they, they then ask a couple questions in front of the class and then that's considered ethics. And while that works, I think that ethics needs to continue to be, and I'm going to get crap from agents that hate ethics classes, but it needs to be a continued forefront for thought to the insurance industry because it is so pertinent to what they're actually doing. Cause you know, whenever I first came in the insurance industry, I was like ethics. Okay. Well be a good businessman. Don't, don't screw your customers. That's ethics, but there's so much more to ethics. Um, and I, I now longer in the industry understand why it's, it's needed because people do take advantage of it. Yeah. Ethics is one of those things that you, you sit, you sit in the class and you go, Oh, this is common sense. Duh. This is what we have to do as agents. But then in your day to day, you start to lose sight of it sometimes. It's easy to lose something that's easy to lose sight of um, because, you know, you have different commission structures across your carriers because you have, um, you know, different incentives. Uh, you know, your incentive buys more on the front end than on, on retention. Uh, and I think that's. Partly why the industry has such a bad image with consumers mm-hmm. is because people sometimes have lost sight of those ethics and what they truly need to be focused on and why the insure techs, not to you know bring it around to those necessarily in this episode, but, um, but why the insure techs see such opportunity in the industry is because it's so easy to lose sight of the ethical correct choice that we have to make as an industry. Yeah. And you know, um, we might, we might talk, talk about this in, in the next episode or two is that that's kind of the, uh, the, the framework in the, in the, the pillars of lemonade's policy 2.0 is the openness, the honesty of what goes into a policy. The transparency. The transparency. And, you know, uh, we we could debate that on another uh, – that's another show uh, to, <laughs> to do the Alton Brown. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the problem with insurance. And 
agents and producers don't even know that. Right. Because they look at it and they go, okay, well, this magical price. They don't know all the factors that go into that price. And we hear it all the time because, well, um, the price was wrong. Well, you didn't check this one box. And that one box, you know, because the customer did have this. And you check that box and now the price is right again. Um, it, it's And that's why it's so important that producers and agents, they take the time to understand. You can do it quickly. This is not, you know, well, hey, let's have a 15, 20, 30-minute conversation about your policy and then I'm going to come back to you in a couple days with your price that 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 time's gone you should be able to per- return a price a comparative price in five to ten minutes um, and have it fully vetted because everybody else is doing that you just have to ask the right questions you have to target the questions based upon what they're doing but asking those right questions and getting the correct underwriting still doesn't answer the ambiguity ambiguity mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a scotch anymore, I guess. And, um, you know, go through it and they don't understand the, the, all the facets that go into creating a rate. And there's a lot. Yeah. So. Well, in this, in this article on insurance thought leadership, he makes a joke that says the first page of your insurance policy tells you we cover everything. It's the next 40 pages that take all that coverage away. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, there, there's, unique ways to to discuss what your policy entails and all that but it just all sums it up in in how people get in trouble because we do a lot of websites and so a lot of our customers will make grandiose claims about what what insurance is and you know they'll say simple things of you know insurance uh your you know property insurance will cover you in in a case of a loss well that's incorrect that is not true um, a property policy will cover you in the case of a case covered, of covered loss. loss. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, just that one little word and the, you know, the hyperbole that can be put into marketing. Um, that's, that's one good thing about what Lemonade is trying to do is, is trying to create that transparency of what's going into policies, but still insurance policies are complicated. There's a lot of underwriting. And the reason why is that there's a, there's a wealth of history that proved the, the, the models and the theories out there's like, you know, why is credit score such a key indicator? My ability to pay my credit card bill is an indicator of how good of a driver I am. Not really, but there's correlation that actually states that it is. Right. So, you, you know, uh, is there any more on that article? That that's pretty much it. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's questioning how do we effectively integrate technology of tomorrow with business models of today and interpret the culture of yesterday? Was his kind of final question. Yeah, I mean, that, that goes right to the point I was just saying is that, you know, the insurance industry has a long history of, you know, understanding risk. Yeah. And, and that's what insurance is. It's, it's actually about mitigating risk and, um, you know, understanding risk. And being able to put a correct price on it. And, you know, there's, there's a, there's an article I just saw the other day about aviation is that with the lack of accidents and lack of things going on, aviation is a great, you know, business to go into until it's not until you have a whole bunch of accidents and then becomes a problem. Because what's going on is that as uh, aviation gets safer and safer, it's, um, you know, prices start driving down. And then, you know, it's, it's not as valuable to be in that market, but it's, if you're able to be in that market with a great price then it's, it's good for you. 
So um, he, he's spot on with this article. Is that uh, and it's not it's not often that I agree with an article. So, <laughs> but he's pretty spot on. Is that this is an industry that uh, is serving too many masters, and it always forgets the one master down below, and that's that's the client. Right. Every business needs to remember that. Is that without your clients, you're nothing, and uh, you have nothing to sell, and you have nothing to nobody to sell to, and. Uh, Everybody, every business owner, agency, uh, software company, uh, bakery, everything in between needs to remember that is that good customer service, good support, being on the ball, being honest, being transparent about who you are and how you operate is, is the key to a successful business. And uh, insurance does have that bad rep, but... With a focus on ethics and focus on doing the right thing for your client, every insurance agent will be fine if they follow that. Yeah. So uh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going down to San Antonio for uh, a family reunion and to see my grandmother. I like San Antonio. It's yeah. it's one of the places that I can safely say is one of those places that I like visiting, but I would not want to live there. Well, she actually lives um, in rural area, kind of forty five minutes outside of San Antonio. So Dripping Springs? No, mm. Tricastroville. Okay, okay, <laughs> I, I knew where Castroville. Is. Okay, so but to, for our listeners who are probably not familiar with Texas geography like we are, uh, San Antonio is usually just what I say because most people don't know where Castroville is. Uh, you, you know that uh, that tweet that I did over on Wednesday uh, about uh, the suburb, suburbs of Texas. Oh, slammed. Yeah. I, I can't believe there's a follow up article on that. So, <laughs> Why uh, not? I was I was I was impressed that you were able to come back so quickly on, but yeah, I felt the same thing. And you saw the banter I had with a friend of mine on yeah. that. So it's uh, you yeah. Know, this this article in the Atlantic uh, that we're we're talking about um, this woman gave recommendations of where to eat in the Dallas suburbs. And her recommendations were national fast food chains that are not just in Dallas suburbs. But it was also like, you know, making us sound like we're a bunch of, you know, roly polies, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to go down to Chick-fil-A. And then she brought up in and out burger and I'm like, okay, you know, if (laughs) okay, just go slam California for that. You had to bring up Texas. Right. So it was, it was one of those things, but uh, you know, there's, there's a discussion I always bring up whenever at dinner parties or whatever uh, out on the road is like where we all travel a lot in the insurance industry. And it's like, Where's the best food you've ever had? You know, if you had to pick one city that you like, every time I go there, I get a great meal. And a lot of times that always revolves back to Dallas and happen to live here, but there's really good restaurants here. And that's really the real reason that we're a bunch of roly polies sometimes <laughs> is that the foods are fantastic here. I've won bets because I'll say this place has the best guacamole you've ever had. And, you know, uh, that was Derek Hyde from uh, Trust of Trust. Oh yeah, he he just kind of he took two bites and he's like, oh, he reaches in his pocket, pulls out a dollar bill. Yep, it is it is really good guacamole. But what drives me more nuts about that article is not the restaurants that she mentioned; is that she's from the Dallas area, and she didn't bring up Whataburger. She, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, how can you be from the Dallas area and not really mention? Any of our great local restaurants that we have, which we have a ton of. We don't yeah. just have chains. Oh, yeah. 
and it and then it was like it was slam, it was definitely a slam on Texas because oh, sure. I'm like you go to Atlanta it's that way you go to LA it's that way the only city that I can safely say that I don't walk around and see chains in fact it, it's almost it's almost it's absolutely refreshing is Seattle yeah I go to Seattle go up to Seattle and you know it's the food's not great it's not fantastic food that you're going on. That was the best X I've ever had. But I still, I think I've eaten at the same place twice. And it just was because the, it was right across the street from the office in Seattle. That's the only reason I've eaten there twice. Yeah. Everywhere, every other time I've been there, I've just ate at a new place every single time. And I think it's fantastic that that's the, you know, that that's cool. But Dallas has those options, but I go to, you know, I, I was driving through, uh, Sacramento, California. And I'm just looking around. I go, oh, this, this looks like LA. This looks like, you, you know, some strip in uh, Dallas or Atlanta or Miami. It just, everything's, yeah. So yeah. I, it was an elitist slam on Texas. It so. was, which also I have problems with, but yeah. Oh, well, native Texan. I am a native Texan. I'm not. I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing this weekend? Um, I absolutely don't know. And I, I like that idea. I like the idea of not having a plan. So not having a plan and just taking it easy is something that, you know, doesn't come easily to me, but it's something that refreshes me. So right now, nothing, which is great. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, grab a drink, enjoy the weekend and, uh, and, and all that. But, uh, I guess uh, we're way over time today. Again? Wow. Yeah, we, yeah, we're we're we're, we're catching the, up. We're catching we're, up for those weeks that you know, record while it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to keep the next le- the next one shorter. But uh, yeah. Okay, so um, if you haven't, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, if you have a comment, you where you want to just slam Laird for his comments on the ethics in the industry, uh, you can reach us at contact at insurancehappyhour.com or on Twitter at L Ricksford or Becky L Schroeder. Um, and as always, we'll have the link to the article we talked about as well as the Atlantic article that was trashing Texas Go in, the, for it. <laughs> in the show notes. All right. Well, have a great weekend. Enjoy it. I wanted to. Yeah, that's all I got. It was. It was. It was we're, we're really knocking these out. It's. It's. It's easy to do. It's I, good to be back. I, I was a little bit dreading it. You. You came in and you said you're ready to read. And I'm like, I'm in a bad mood, but I'm bad. Better mood now. So that's good. good. All right. Well, it's uh, been fun. Thanks for listening.
So Whataburger? Do you like Whataburger? Mm-hmm. All right. What's your favorite thing there? Just Whataburger with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> That's a uh, way to do it. Yeah.